Well, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to my podcast, Stephen Sully Study. We're in a beautiful area, Hampshire. Indeed. With my next brilliant podcast guest, a uh, man who needs no introduction, Mr. Matt Lassissier, or as I've got written down here, Le God. <laughs> that was a long time ago, mate. That was a long <laughs> time ago. Feels like a whole world ago. Yeah. <laughs> this is a beautiful part of the world. I'm really, really um, impressed with it. You know, I was driving down here from where I live in Locks Bottom. Yeah. Beautiful drive, stopped over to. You know, have a piss, have a, have a drink, have some, a bit of food at one of the local pubs, yeah. uh, make some notes before all my podcast interviews. I was like, do you know what? If I live around there, it'd be quite a pleasant place. It is pretty cool out here in the countryside. Um, we've got a lovely little village here and uh, the only thing that's missing is a pub. We don't have a pub in the village. So we're, we've got to try and change that, I think. But the locals are quite happy the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> do you know what? I saw quite a lot of pubs on the way down here. I mean, I picked Yeah, there's Chris one up. in the next village along. There's one, you know, down in towards Romsey, which is the one I think that you that you stopped and had some, some lunch in. So there is some nice places, but it's just in our little village here, there's nothing. Yeah. Apart <laughs> from the farm shop at the end of the road, which is which is great. So, look, um, quite naturally, I, I know you've done a lot of podcasts. I know you've been centre of attention in the last few years for good stuff and <laughs> other stuff that, I don't perceive as necessarily bad. I just, but I know how the media portrayed it. Yeah. So a lot of the public are going to perceive it as negative press. But at yeah. the same time, I think it was just you speaking your mind. So I'm going to start probably there. Sure. And then sort of work my way back to, you know, the football days, etc. Yeah, no problem. Yeah. Yeah, go for it. So I'm 36 years of age and I knew life before social media. Yep. I knew the media back then as this type of platform that would just give you news. But now we have the blessing and the curse, which is social media. So if we believe something to be true or false, we can kind of verify it by going to, onto social media, having a look at it, cross-referencing it, and actually speaking to someone directly to get their answer. And if it's a doctor, if it's an accountant, professional, etc., about a spe specific topic, yeah. you can kind of get a and education and some experience via them. Yeah. Um, but let's have it right. I mean, the media portray certain individuals when they're outspoken as a certain radical individual. Uh, Far-right conspiracy theorists is, a, is the most favourite slur that is, gets thrown around these days whenever you dare to question something that is on the, the mainstream media. Um, Absolutely. I've never, been, I've never been political in my life, so I wouldn't even know what far-right was. <laughs> um, you know, I... I I don't think I've ever voted in a general election, so to be um, you know labelled as a far right conspiracy theorist is just something so far wider the mark. I actually have to laugh at it. Yeah, yeah. Freedom of speech. Yep. Is it dead? Uh, it's if it's not dead, it's certainly on a life support machine right now um, because there are uh, a lot of people in the mainstream media um, who don't want you to have freedom of speech. There's a lot of people in government um, and above the governments that don't want you to have freedom of speech because it's the one thing that keeps democracy alive, really, uh, and for them to have total control over the population, the first thing they have to do is stop freedom of speech, and that's what's been happening in the last couple of years. Mm. How have you experienced like the freedom of speech kind of They've tried to imprison you in a certain uh, category or certain bucket. Yeah, I mean, when you when you go against what the mainstream media are saying in the government narrative, when you go against that, uh, they'll attack you, they'll label you, um, uh, and they'll try and use that to to silence you. 
um, uh, fortunately for me, I was um, pretty mentally strong in my football career. Um, and so uh, I'm still uh, strong enough as a person to believe in what I think is happening. Um, and so just by throwing a few slurs around from people in the media, uh, it's not going to shut me up. Um, and I, you know, I just, I believe in something, so I'll say it and I'll say it as I think it is. Uh, and if people don't like it, tough shit. It's good, 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 <laughs> good, uh, good view to take. Listen, I personally, I'm not always going to agree with everybody in the world and their thoughts, feelings, no views, etc. But this is the thing. I support your view on freedom of speech. If you That's believe in something, exactly. you should be allowed to express it. Absolutely right. Absolutely right. And uh, nobody, not nobody, will meet anybody in this world and agree on everything. Mm. I mean, you can have. This is why the labelling of people into groups is such a stupid thing, because everybody holds different opinions. Not everybody in a certain community holds the same views on every subject. So when you try labeling an entire group of people as a far right conspiracy theorist, uh, all that kind of stuff, you, you label people. If you actually speak to the individuals in that group, they'll all have very differing opinions uh, on the subject. So they should never be lumped together as one. Mm. I want to take you back to like the start of the pandemic. Mm. I think it was Back in the 2019, there were some bits of news, but then it really started kicking off, certainly in this country, westernised world, probably about February 2020. Yep. And I want to say this thing, because when I say it to my dad, who's very much on the media side, but then I've got my mum, who is literally, Matt, when I tell you, she is the female version of David Icke. <laughs> I am not. I'm not. I'm not far wrong. She is. She will. She will Good break down everything yeah. that the media say because mm. she cross references loads of stuff. Anyway, from China, there was individuals walking down the street who suddenly, out of nowhere, <laughs> fell down in the middle of the street. It wasn't even just collapsing and falling <laughs> down. It was face planting into concrete. Yeah. Um, how come that didn't happen over here when apparently coronavirus would stem from China? That was the. You know, how come the people they were the, here? They were the viral videos that we used to scare everybody into locking down, or to convince the public that we had that locking down was a necessary evil. And let's be honest, it is evil. What they did was evil, locking people down, separating everybody, uh, leaving loved ones to to die on their own. It was evil, uh, and those videos were used to justify it. Now nobody in the mainstream media has ever gone back and gone, hang on a minute, those videos that we used to justify locking people down, why have we not seen that anywhere else in the world apart from those two people in China? And that video was, was the, you know, the, the first thing that was on the television uh, and through social media that everyone went, oh my God, people are collapsing in the street. We've got to lock everyone in their houses. And it was it just, I don't know, it, people lost their common sense lost their ability to be able to think properly um and it's scary it's scary because they've the, the governments have, have weaponized uh psychological techniques against their own population uh, and it's been nothing short of uh of crimes against humanity in my opinion so in your view your interpretation or your yeah your view were these people were collapsing were they were they actors um, were they actors? Uh, I've no idea who they were, but all I know is that hasn't happened anywhere else in the world. So why, why not? What were they? 
uh, they could have been they could have been actors um they could have been normal people just messing about uh, who knows uh but i know one thing for sure i've never walked down the street and seen somebody collapse like that in two years uh, and allegedly it's the same virus that's gone around the whole world but it only makes people collapse out in china and how we how we believed those videos was nothing short of incredible uh for the first time ever i mean has anybody ever believed anything that's come out of china we know the whole country everything that comes out of that country is propaganda and yet here we go there's people collapsing in the street and everyone goes oh my god it must be true it's come out of china and you're like have we learned nothing uh, just beggar belief mm. I, one of the reasons why I come up with that question about the, the, you know, the actors is because, sadly, the Daily Star, I'm not saying this is the best paper in the world, <laughs> but on the 24th of May, 2022, so quite recently, I'll, I'll read you verbatim what they said. Matt Letizia slams morally bankrupt critics after claims that COVID patients were all actors. See, that's, that's uh, a lie uh, for a start because I never said that all COVID patients were actors. Uh, what I said was there were some people that were filmed in hospitals who were crisis actors. And this is what the media do. They twist your words uh, and they come up with quotes like that to make you look like you're accusing everybody who's had COVID of being an actor. Mm -hmm. And that's how they do it. And that's how they try and demonize you. And that's how they try to demonize me. Um, so all I would ask people when they're, is, is come and talk to me. Mm. You know, when I'm out and about, if you've got questions, come and talk to me. Don't take it as read what you read in the media. The media is full of propaganda and outright lies, mm. full of it. Uh, and so um, by me calling that out, obviously the media are going to come for me and attack me. And I expect that, uh, but I don't care uh, because I know what I believe to be true and I'll stand up for it. And, um, and, and of course, uh, they don't like that because they can't control me. Yeah, um, I totally resonate with what you're saying there because I've been on the arse end of some media stuff and I've seen a lot of people have. And I always say to people, there is the truth and there is a narrative and understand the difference. Absolutely. And sometimes, a lot of the time, the headline is the only bit people read and, that, and, people and they know won't that. go into the body exactly. of the whole entire article and they won't bother cross-referencing no. certain facts and figures and, and exactly what happened. So people, I, I totally understand People that. are too lazy to think for themselves. Uh, and they'll just, like you say, they will. And the people that do that know that people just read the headlines and take that as the story. Yeah. Uh, and so that's why they write headlines that aren't necessarily reflective of what's written underneath yeah. because they know that that is what's going to get everyone's attention. Um, and they're very clever. And I'll give credit where credit's due. The psychological aspect of it they have been unbelievably clever, evil, really evil, but really clever in how they understand the human psyche. I tell you, again, something else I do agree with is what you just said, how clever, how calculated how they are. How I manipulative. Mean, not Christmas just gone, but the Christmas before. I think it was just about they, they made lockdown after they said, we'll do the short lockdown because we don't want to lock down over Christmas. Oh, I had um, my wife's parents who live in Devon literally calling up like a couple of days before saying, we're not going to make it. And I was like, oh, why? Because we're told we're not allowed to. And they and I had a conversation with them because I said, look, let's, let's, let's be rational here. Let's really understand what's going on, having a conversation. Their answer to me was this. 
there are going to be the army on the motorway pulling people over, questioning you, and if you're going somewhere you shouldn't be, you're going to be arrested. That was the kind of portrayment that they had instilled in their mind. I think, oh my God, this is like brainwashing to the next level. It is brainwashing to the next level, and that's how you control people, because you frighten them. Uh, And they know that. They know exactly all about that. Um, And unfortunately for them, um, not everybody is uh, gullible enough to believe all their lies. So there's still a a fair portion of people that are are able to still think for themselves and think critically and can can come up with reasonable conclusions. uh, And, you know, all those stupid rules that they put in place. Mm. I don't follow them. I had people around here, people who were like-minded, who, who knew that it was propaganda. Uh, and do you know what? Two years later, I'm still here. And uh, as far as I know, I've never had COVID. And uh, in fact, I've probably felt the healthiest I've ever been for the last two years. So who's right, who's wrong? Hmm. Uh, even on that note, I remember being in uh, the hospital um, with my uh my wife was pregnant and she was giving birth to my youngest son at the moment called Logan. This was maybe a year on the 1st of September coming up. And they came into the hospital and they said, look, we're going to have to put you on this private division because when you've done a test uh, a day or so ago, we've only got the results now. And they're saying, you've got COVID to my wife, but she had no symptoms at all. And they said to me, we suspect you've got COVID, but we can't give you a test because we're not allowed to. And I was like, right. And anyway, went into into this uh, hospital room. Anyway, after my son was born, etc., I had friends of mine going, "Oh, I heard what happened. Your, your wife, how's the baby because of the coronavirus?" I said, "Nothing, mate. Like she had <laughs> no symptoms whatsoever, and my son is completely healthy, completely fine." And again, it's this it's this illusion. That it is an illusion. The motion you you get this 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 virus that you're suddenly going to be dead or you're going to be that's the, totally scarred for forever. That's the that's the worst bit about it all is that people and there's still a lot of people now who go oh well so and so he's not at work so he's got COVID and they go oh my god is he all right is it and you're like oh, you never you never said that when someone had the flu a couple of years ago which has got pretty much uh, an identical uh, fatality rate um, so they've managed to to scare the life out of people for something that is kind of like the flu in terms of its um, lethality. Yeah. Yesterday, the New York uh, Post uh, published an article on their social media and probably somewhere else on the internet. And it said that China have just discovered a new variation of the virus and Mm. it's already affected 40 odd people, 35 people. Um, When you see statements like that, how does it make you feel and what do you think is going to happen off the back end of that? Uh, how does it make me feel? I laugh at it, quite frankly. Um, uh, the whole new variant thing, it's just, it's just part, all part of the same propaganda plan. Um, and yeah, there might be a new variant, but uh, all the experts that I've spoken to in that field have said that's what these viruses do. They mutate and, and they don't get any more deadly. They actually get less deadly. Um, and so we just got to learn to live with it, and mm. you know, that's what uh, that's what we've been doing in this country. I don't know if if you've got people who watch from other countries um, around the world, but if you've been living in this country for the last few months, I, I would suggest that everything is pretty much back to normal, um, apart from the stupid screens in shops, 
people think that this plastic screen is going to keep out a virus when the rest of the shop is just all open air. It's, it still tickles me. Um, but there's a lot of countries that are still under restrictions, so we're led to believe. Um, yeah, in this country, uh, you know, we've been living pretty freely. Um, but you do wonder what's around the corner um, when you see, you know, people desperately trying to ramp up the fear again. Uh, and I, I think they can only bring in restrictions if people are frightened. So we're, we're almost, you know, we've always got our own destiny in our own hands, I think, because I think they'll only bring in the restrictions if enough people get frightened. So I think if you lose the fear uh, and you stop listening to the news channels uh, and live your life normally, um, then I think it's the way out of it because they only, they only want to do this they only feel comfortable doing it when they have our consent and they manipulate us for us to give them our consent. Uh, and so if we don't allow ourselves to be manipulated, they can't do it. Hmm. Reminds me of a conversation I had yesterday. The podcast hasn't come out yet, but it will soon with a guy called Gian Power. It's not a famous guy, but he's got a very, very compelling story. Basically, his guy, sorry, his dad died, got murdered in 2015 in India very successful businessman and there was a ploy it looks like to murder him to siphon off his money via his business partners and some affiliates the story gets even weirder his body was flown back from india to the uk and it ended up not being his dad's body and the murderers still are roaming free today never been brought to justice and they live in the uk and the reason being is because it's a bit of a loophole in india you are there is corporate punishment which is execution if you are uh, uh, convicted of murdering someone. Yeah. But over here, we've got human rights. So they won't send them back to India to be tried in case they are executed. So they're, so, so they're walking around. So he's gone to Guillen's very outspoken guy, very brave guy, you know, very, very, you know, he's got a lot of energy behind yep. what he believes in. He's trying to get the law changed, but he's gone to 10 Downing Street. He's, he's done, he's done a lot. And I said to him, why are you coming on to like my podcast if you have a podcast to tell this story? Because it must be quite emotional every yeah. time you do this. Even I appreciate what you're doing. He said, I've got to get enough media attention. It's got to flare up so badly so that, that the authorities have it. to do something about it. And now what it makes me think is if enough people flared up and said, no, I'm not doing this. Absolutely. I'm not going to be put down. They'll have, the, the authorities will have to do something about it. They have Absolutely. To back off. Yeah, absolutely. Of the same sort of thing. And that's why, you know, all those years ago when, when the government tried to implement the poll tax uh, and they had the, the, the protest back then and they backed down, <laughs> you know, they tried to mandate the vaccine for NHS workers and there's a big protest in London in January um, and they backed down. Uh, so if enough people do it, uh, they, they will back down. And it's been interesting uh, just the last couple of days with the energy bills. Uh, and, you know, the, the, there's a group there that are saying cancel your di direct debits. Uh, and make the energy companies go to the ombudsman. And that's going to cost the energy companies loads of money if you do that. Uh, and within a short period of time, they had nearly 100,000 followers on Twitter. You know, I mean, that's a lot of people to mobilise in a short space of time. And then all of a sudden, you get people on the television to, saying, oh, it's really dangerous, might cost you more money if you do that, so don't do that. So I look at that and go, well, if somebody on the television is telling me not to do that, I'm going to do it because... I know what's coming out of that box is a load of crap. Didn't Warren Buffett say, uh, when people are fearful, be greedy, and when people are greedy, be fearful? And there's a slight sort of relevance to that. It's almost like, look at the masses. He actually said this as well in one of his books. 
observe the masses and do the opposite. Absolutely. You know? and, yes. and I think that's put him in good stead for investments. And I think generally speaking, yeah, like if you can if you can do something slightly different than the norm, you're going to get better results. Yeah, I, I can't remember who said that when you find yourself uh, on the side of the majority, take a hard look at yourself. Yeah. <laughs> So, um, right, on the, on the note of uh, these articles, I've got another one here. This is uh, not as recent, but in the same month, in the 6th of May 2022, by The Sun. And I know I've got the very best papers quoted here from the Daily Star <laughs> to The Sun. But anyway, this is what they said. PCR tests, the biggest fraud ever uh, put onto mankind. Uh, apparently, you said that. Yep. Did you say that? And yep. what did you mean by that? Uh, what I meant by that is the PCR test uh, was being used to manipulate the amount of cases that, uh, that we had in this country to be able to try to, to use to scare people uh, to thinking that it was more of a threat than it actually was. Um, the cycle thresholds that were being used were way above the norm of what should be used. Um, and the PCR test, according to the inventor of the PCR test, is not a diagnostic tool and should never be used as one. And they've used it as one, and they've basically cheated their way to telling people. That's why you had people with uh, who were a COVID case, like your wife, but had no symptoms. Now, it's the first time in history where they're telling you you're ill, but you've got no symptoms. Now, come on. Um, so that's why I say the PCR test was one of the biggest frauds ever perpetrated on this country and on mankind. Just speaking like devil's advocate, yep. some, someone coming in and listening to this conversation and someone might say, well, hang on a minute, someone might have cancer and I know we can't compare cancer to coronavirus or any, you know, this, this, this flu-like symptom, but mm -hmm. you could have a problem, not know about it, not have any symptoms and it could become very, very deadly. Oh, yeah, that, yeah that's, a, that's a very different disease. We're talking about viruses and uh, respiratory viruses and all that kind of stuff. Um, when I say that, uh, without having any symptoms I'm not talking about underlying issues of cancer and all that kind of stuff we're talking about respiratory viruses here so I probably should have clarified that point um, because yes of course you of course you can be be ill and, and not show any symptoms with cancer and stuff like that um, but in terms of viruses um, there was a there was a, a big study done um, it was like 10 million people where they um, uh, they were trying to prove, I think, that there were you could pass on the virus without having any symptoms yourself, and it just didn't make sense. Mm. It, it doesn't make sense if if you've got a bit of a virus inside of you, and it's not enough of a virus to make you ill. Then how do we think that it's going to be able to go to somebody else, jump to somebody else, and make them ill when there's only such a small part of it? It's not even making you ill. Doesn't make sense. Mm. So uh, the PCR test. Also, it's been admitted, uh, cannot tell the difference between COVID, the flu, or a common cold. So all those cases that we were told about, they have no idea if they were COVID cases or not, or if these people had a bit of flu, a bit of a cold, can't tell. Yeah. And they've used it to weaponize fear against people. Yeah. I'm a part of a lot of social um, uh, WhatsApp groups for business, social, uh, training, etc., and it is quite funny the psychology in in uh, in these WhatsApp groups for the people kind of very very for you know what's happened and, and yeah. people which are questioning it. Mm. And I remember seeing someone who's a very very fit lad. He actually does a bit of boxing, and he ended up getting a 
apparently on the PCR test, you know, this, uh, I got COVID. So he just shared with the group because I think they was all going to go and meet for a drink. And he said, look, guys. And immediately the whole group was like, oh, sorry, mate. You must be, how are you feeling? You must be really, really sick and stuff. He said, no, I've got coronavirus, but I'm not sick. I'm not ill. And how he just shut everyone down. And it is that psychology that the moment that someone hears that you've got, you, you're, you're positive, it's almost like, oh my God, you, you, you have got cancer. That's mm. a bit like that same psychology. <laughs> yeah. And it's just, again, crazy the, the, the psychology and the, the thought process that a lot of people have gone through. It's like flu. Like if I have flu, yeah, I'd be a little bit rough, mate, but I, I'm totally Nobody sweet. worries about your life though, do they? Yeah. When you catch flu, nobody goes, oh, blimey, you're gonna, you, you might die, mate. Yeah. <laughs> they're just it's just been weaponized yeah. um and yeah it's it's just been a horrible couple of years um where some very evil people uh have done some very evil things simple as that so moving on from the pc artist to like masks yep what's your view on masks <laughs> what's my view on masks uh my view on masks is that they're pretty useless in fact my view on masks is that they probably do more harm than good given um, uh, a lot of the, the the clinical tests and the PPE experts that I've spoken to have said they, they'll do more harm than good and, so uh, don't wear them and in uh, when it came out was you aware of nope. masks nope uh, I, I um, exempted myself because you <laughs> that's a <laughs> that's how stupid it is uh, so they go, right, everyone's got to wear masks. If you actually look into uh, the legislation that they put behind that, um, there are loopholes for people and you can, you yourself can go, I'm exempt and nobody can do anything about it. Mm. So you're like, well, if they're that good, you're not really going to give people that loophole, are you? Let's be honest. Uh, so the mask wearing was a, for me was a, uh, a tool of obedience and that's, all it was. Yeah. Um, and then finally, moving on to the, the thing that they tried to make mandatory, and they kind of did to make people fly, is the whole, I'm going to change my language because I'm f afraid of being censored on, on YouTube, <laughs> but it was compulsory that you were double uh, uh, Pfizer yes. or, or Johnson Johnson. Um, your view on it. I mean, um, you've clearly said before that you've had all the others I have. Bar, bar this lot, which has happened in the last few years. So yeah. are you anti Johnson & Johnson or these, these <laughs> vaccines? Yeah. Uh, am I anti? Uh, uh, um, I'm anti-COVID I'm anti -COVID vaccine, yeah. Um, and I don't, I don't have any problem admitting that. Um, as I said, I've, I've had all other vaccinations in my life. Um, uh, so um, when this one was developed so quickly... Uh, it made me think, hang on a minute, what's going on here? And I already had my doubts about what was going on, so it was kind of coming from a place of uh, scepticism already. Um, now, they've been trying to create a vaccine for the common cold for decades and haven't been able to do it. And, we, and we're expected to believe in the space of a few months a novel coronavirus appears and all oh, there's four companies who have all got this magical vaccine that works really well and you go... Hang on, what, in a few months? You've been trying decades to get it, and it just didn't make sense. And then you go, well, if you develop that in a few months, how do you know what the long-term side effects are? Hmm. And not one person in the media would ever ask a question of somebody in authority and go, 
what are the long-term uh, effects of, of this vaccine? Because in the space of six months or nine months, you can't know what the long-term effects are. So uh, anybody who came out and said it is safe and effective was basically lying because they have no idea if it's safe and effective because there's no long-term safety data behind them. And we're already seeing that this vaccine is way more dangerous than any other vaccine that has been produced before in the history of vaccines. Mm. There's, no, there's no doubting that statement when you look at the adverse reactions. And also, when it came about and the first wave of people got it and majority overcame it, surely someone should have said in media, your body, you've got a 99, almost 100% um, uh, tolerance to this and you're going to overcome it with either no side effects or any indication you got it whatsoever, like my wife, or you might have flu-like symptoms. Now, sadly, if some of you have got underlying serious health issues or you're overweight or you drink too much or you smoke and you take drugs, etc., you're more prone to really have some some bad side effects and mm -hmm. even possibly die. But it's a very, very yep. small minority. Yeah. Or you could take this, which has only got a 90 or a 95% success ratio. I, I, I would always choose my own immune system, which is almost 100% effective rather than something which is 95. It's impossible even 95. Yeah. <laughs> That 95% was a fantasy figure, as it's been um, proven, uh, because the efficacy has kind of been admitted to have gone lower and lower and lower and lower, uh, until they've actually admitted it, it was less than 50%. Um, and it's probably even less than that uh, after a couple of weeks. So um, it's just, it, it just frustrates me. The, the same it, sort it of frustrates me. question about the the the, the, the vax and uh, also the, uh, the the mask is is kind of the same psychology. And I tell you what, what I mean. Being on trains going into London, sometimes a tube, rarely but occasionally, the pressure was put onto the person not wearing the mask. And also, if you were unfizered, people would say, "Well, it's not about you. It's about." you know, your loved ones, your friends and family. And I thought, this is really interesting. So you're telling me I've got to wear a mask, not for me to not catch it, but in order for you not to catch it, even though you've got a mask on. Yeah. Is that what you're telling me? <laughs> and you're also saying to me, who is a fit individual, rarely ever sick, yeah. trains all the time, he's pretty healthy. Listen, I'm no angel. You know, yeah, I have yeah. a blowout every, every so often. But generally speaking, I'm pretty fit. I don't yeah. rarely get ill, but I've got to take something to protect two or three people down the chain. Is that what you're trying to tell me? And I found that very, very inconsistent and very odd. It, it is incredibly odd. In fact, it, it just, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't stack up. Uh, and it's almost like we've been living in an upside down world for the last couple of years where everything that we're told uh, is actually the complete opposite like of what is guilt. actually happening. It's so the guilt ploy. I mean, how people. do people, <laughs> how do people wear a mask and then go, Where's your mask? You've got to protect me. <laughs> What's your mask doing? Oh, it's protecting you. What? <laughs> it, it actually is so stupid that I, it just, it beyond belief that people are going, yeah, my mask is protecting you, but now you need to put yours on to protect me. Well, actually, what, you just put two on. You just put two masks on. You have one for me and yourself one, uh, and I'm fine as it goes. I'll take my chances. Because it's just like, are you stupid? Um, it, but this is the whole psychology thing. This is why they had um, on that 
SAGE committee. Uh, they had the behavioural insights team on there very early on and for that exact reason, um, because they can manipulate people uh, very, very easily. Um, they can manipulate a large portion of the population very easy. There's still um, a fair proportion that see through the bullshit. So if you haven't been, if I can ask you this direct question, if you haven't been double, triple... Or single. 10,000 uh, <laughs> uh, double Johnson, um, how can you travel? Uh, how can I travel? Uh, I went to... I've been to Turkey, uh, which didn't have any uh, need for you to be double pfizer or triple pfizer whatever uh so i went there on holiday um and i've only uh, apart from that i've only ever been to guernsey uh which is um you know there's no restrictions on flying to, to there where my mm. rest, rest of my family are um so that's the only kind of places that i've been i actually had <laughs> uh about about a year or so ago maybe a bit more than that i'd hack i'd actually come to terms with the fact and i was quite at peace with that uh, I'd come to terms with the fact that I might never leave the shores of England again. That I would spend the rest of my days in this country if they bought in vaccine passports and you couldn't leave the country unless you were vaccinated. I was quite happy to sit here and go, oh well, I'm quite happy. I like England. I'll just stay here for the rest of my life. I ain't got a problem with that. And that's kind of, I'd, I'd almost uh, got to the decision where I was at peace with that and um, uh, and that would have meant I would never have gone back to, as it was at the time, I would never have been able to go back to Guernsey, which is, you know, where my parents were and everything. But uh, I felt so strongly about the issue that I, I'd i made the decision that I would never be coerced into taking that vaccine. Um, it brings me on to a conversation you've definitely had, I've definitely had. In actual fact, everyone I know who we, we come up with this conversation is either been a part of the conversation or heard of this conversation the reason why I've done it was to so go I on holiday. <laughs> and isn't it a bit like you're missing the point? If you're meant to take something, isn't it for the thing itself rather than a, a another part of your passport to get out of the country? Isn't that a bit of a, a weird psychology? It, it, yeah, I mean, uh, that, and again, that, that was all part of the coercion, um, you know. It, everything that goes against the Nuremberg Code, um, it all it all happened, uh, and I just hope, I hope beyond hope that I'm still alive to see the people that perpetrated this tried for their crimes. Definitely. Um, one more thing on this sort of subject is: uh, Do people ever come over to you? Like, you know, in public, have, have they ever come over to you on trains if you're not wearing a mask or back in the, you know, over the last few years not wearing a mask to say, why aren't you not wearing a mask and challenge you? And also for some of the views that you've had, which have been shared on, 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 on the mainstream media. Um, now, people aren't normally brave enough to come up to your face and question you. Um, I, I don't I, There's probably I had one person shout anti-vaxxer at me when I was at Cheltenham. Uh, earlier this year uh i think that that's kind of about it I, I get a load more people come up to me and shake my hand and go thank you very much for what you're doing uh you're saying in public what we're all thinking uh and it's a shame people there aren't more people brave enough to speak out like i've done um and that's been a disappointment to me there are people 
in my own industry that where I worked, um, who I thought were were good, brave, you know, really good people, um, and I've actually learnt that there's quite a few people who I thought were really brave and really strong people who actually are, are proper cowards, um, and that's been that's been disappointing. But that's up to them, you know. That's their that's their choice. Um, at some point, their decisions uh, will come back uh, and bite them on the backside. Um, and they'll have to deal with that when it happens. Because I know you, your story is after uh, playing professional football and having a very, very successful career and being, uh, you know, the, the star that you, you were and are at Southampton and be given this nickname, Le God. Um, you know, you were, you were at Sky Sports as a pundit and then you were let go. I think yep. that's the right term. Uh, uh, sacked, I think. Was <laughs> fired <laughs> after uh, almost 20 years. Yep. And it was because of some of your views. And going back to what you just said there, do you think people have a bit of a catch-22? One breath is, look, I want to say what I really feel, but if I do, I'm going to lose my job. And at the end of the day, this is providing income for me and my family. Yeah, of course. I understand the position that they're in. Uh, I do. But there are some people that, that aren't in that position but still choose to... Uh, they, they still choose to not say anything about what they know is going on. This is now the second time oh, a dog, hello, dog on one of my podcasts has come on and made, made a guest appearance. How you doing? Hey, Maddie, thanks for your... Go on, off you go. go. Inside. Come on, you don't come outside. It's too hot. Um, yeah, so they're, uh, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of boxed into a corner, as it were. Some people are boxed into a corner because they, they obviously um, need the money. Uh, and I completely understand that. Uh, and I completely respect that. Um, but that doesn't that doesn't stop me from thinking they're a bit cowardice. They're a bit cowardly um, because there's other ways to earn money as well, mm. uh, and you've got to back yourself sometimes. Um, uh, and you know, I, I kind of was put in that position. Um, I didn't voluntarily uh, leave my job, uh, but yeah, I mean, they've never actually come out and said because of my views that I, that was the reason I was sacked. Um, I was actually told that they're taking the show in a different direction. Um, and three of us got sacked all at the same time. Um, so, but you know, there there is other work out there. There's other there's other ways of earning a living, um, and you adapt when you you make the best of what you got. And that's what I that's what I've had to do. Yeah, there, there is something I I listened to in a previous podcast interview, and also what I've read online. And there was this thing surrounding the Black Lives Matter. If you could just a bit elaborate on that. Yeah. So. Um, when the whole George Floyd thing happened, we, we turned up for work uh, and we were just about to go in the studio. In fact, we were in the, the studio at Sogasatli uh, and about a minute before we were going to go on air, the producer came in and he gave us all these Black Lives Matter badges. And I kind of I kind of looked at him and I went, do we have to wear these? Uh, and he looked at me and he just went, it's probably in your best interest if you do. And I was like, oh, okay. I wasn't very comfortable with it. Um, but we were literally just about to go on air. So I couldn't have an argument with the producer, so I just I just put it on for the, for that show. Uh, and throughout the afternoon, I just I felt really com uncomfortable um, throughout the show. And at the end of the show, I just went to the producer and, and I, I said to him, I took the badge off and I gave it him back and I went, look, I said, I, I won't be wearing that badge ever again. I said, if you want me to wear a badge 
which, you know, the, the kick it out campaign, you know, stop racism, all that kind of stuff. I'm happy to wear whatever badge, but I know what that organization stand for. And I'm not comfortable having that logo on my jacket and I won't be wearing it again. Um, and so that's what I did. I wore a different badge the next week. Um, and uh, eventually, uh, it took a while, um, but eventually the all the all the uh, people on that channel stopped wearing the badge. Um, I just thought it was the, I, I, I felt it, it was an infringement on on my human rights to be kind of put in that position where I didn't I didn't want to be associated with that with that movement. And I know they've come out and the, and the Premier League have said, well, that's not you know it's not that movement that we're supporting. Well, if it's not that movement you're supporting. Why did you choose those three words? Choose a different, choose a different slogan that doesn't correspond to that organisation in America. Um, and so, yeah, that's that. I don't know if that if that led to uh, one of the things that led to me being sad. I don't know. It might have done. Might not. Who knows? So, what does Black Lives Matter actually really mean then? Well, the the organisation that were causing all the trouble uh, in America, you know, they stood for wanting to defund the police. Uh, they wanted to um, destroy the family unit. That was one of the things, one of their objectives. Uh, and that kind of went against everything that I think is useful in society. I actually uh, think, you know, that it's, it's a good thing that, um, that we have families uh, and it's a good thing that we have law enforcement. Uh, as long as they're actually doing their job of protecting the people uh, and not just doing the uh, dirty work of the people above them, which is sometimes what happens with our law enforcement. Mm. Do you miss like being at Sky Sports because you were there for almost 20 years? I mean, you sometimes must recap and think, you know what, I miss that routine. Um, it's actually been quite nice to uh, to actually have some weekends back to myself because kind of for, for nine months of the year, you were kind of in the TV studio. Uh, and so, you know, for stuff like what happened last weekend, my mate rang me up and went, oh, he said, I'm not using my season ticket uh, for the Spurs-Southampton game. Do you want to use it? I was like, well, yeah, I'm not doing anything Saturday. So uh, I went up and watched, uh, unfortunately, Spurs <laughs> smack my team 4-1. Um, but it was it was actually quite nice to be. I just drove up on my own, parked up, walked about a mile into the ground, had a bit of food on the way, uh, sat and watched the game and toodled on back down here so that was actually quite nice and i enjoyed that so uh, from that point of view yeah i don't miss um being on television every saturday afternoon so like if you don't mind me asking like as a business person that you are now since football obviously that was paying you mm-hmm. how do you make your money and finances today um uh, so I have, um, well, I have a, a pension from my from my football career, uh, which we were able to start taking when we were thirty five, um, and I do after dinner speaking. You know, I, I do uh, some work for for Getter through my social media, through my live streams on Getter, um, and kind of personal appearances and um, just lots of little things that kind of accumulate really. So yeah, it's uh, it, it's it, the stuff that I lost through Sky um, has kind of been replaced. So. Uh, uh, I'm still in, a, uh, in an okay position. Well, the old saying is when one door shuts, the other one opens. Absolutely. And, uh, it's not, all, you know, press, good or bad press is, in my, my view, is, is actually ultimately good press because people get to know you and then you can provide a service off the back end of that. 
Absolutely, yeah. And, and you know, it's it's not it's not the way I would have wanted my life to have panned out. You know, I, I did quite enjoy. I enjoyed my job. Uh, it was a, it was a pretty cool job to have. Uh, sat around with your mates talking about football for six hours every Saturday afternoon was was a really good laugh. Um, but when the company that you're doing it for then starts becoming um, so politically motivated, uh, then it wasn't much fun. Uh, and quite frankly, I, I really don't miss it. And if uh, by some miracle uh, they were to come back and go, actually, we want to we want to get the show as it was back together again, would you do it? Uh, they, there's not a chance in hell that I would go and work for that company again. Someone made a quote, and I don't know who it was from Sky or someone in and around like a journalist. They said, yeah, part of the reason is obviously your, 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 your outspoken views. But then there was, they picked up on this one, which was 2021, Christian Eriksen on the pitch collapsed, had a cardiac arrest. And allegedly, you made a comment saying that's because he must have been vaccinated. But then they actually looked at him and said he hadn't been vaccinated. And I wanted to see whether that was the truth or not. Uh, you said that. I didn't say I didn't say uh, for sure that Christine Eriksen had been vaccinated. Um, what I said was uh, it would be nice to know um, because there's been a lot of sports people that have collapsed on pitches, not just footballers. Uh, a lot of young, fit sports people who have been collapsing um, in numbers that we've never seen before, and yet no one seems to care about it, and no one seems to want to investigate why. Uh, and so my point was, you should. If, you, if you're going to start seeing young, fit, healthy people collapsing all around, surely it needs to be investigated. And for that investigation to happen, you need to know if people have been vaccinated because it's coincided with a experimental vaccine rollout. Um, so surely if the vaccine rollout is experimental, we should be keeping an eye on it to see if there's any warning signs to see if this is actually quite a dangerous vaccine. And yet nobody seems to be looking at it and going, mm, yeah, they're going, oh, there's loads of sports people just dropping down on, on pitches all of a sudden. Yeah, that's all right. We'll just turn a blind eye to that. You, you shouldn't be doing that. You should not be doing that. And so you need to know whether... And nobody has confirmed one way or the other whether whether Ericsson has been vaccinated or not. In fact, I would say had he not been vaccinated, it would have probably been headline news all over the place telling everyone that he wasn't vaccinated, but he's collapsed on the pitch. But... They kept his vaccination status uh, a bit of a guessing game still. Um, and so I kind of think, hmm, okay. Now, I understand that, you know, people's medical uh, issues are their own and they might not want to tell you if they're vaccinated or not. Um, but given kind of what's been happening around the world where you get vilified if you go, well, I'm not vaccinated. Well, hang on a minute then. If you're vilifying me, tell me, tell me what you are. Um, you know, but they they won't do that. So uh, using common sense, it kind of probably it probably tells me that he probably was, but I don't know for sure. My brother uh, was working at the time uh, as a groundsman for Chelsea, uh, Chelsea Football Club. Yeah, and he was telling me, obviously the the ones that were hitting the headline were the footballers because it was like I remember when I was younger. I, I remember was it. The football called Spider. It was nicknamed the Spider or something like that. Uh, Fabrice Moamba. Um, yeah, it might have been. And Mark Vivian Fowey. There was yeah. two of them that had And they had, had a heart, heart attack. And, they, yeah. it, and I remember seeing that and I couldn't get my head around it. I was thinking, these are some of the fittest people in the world. And he'd fall. But there are exceptions. Things are going to happen. Absolutely, every, every there so are often. exceptions. And it has, yeah. it has happened 
But the reason you remember, that reason I remember those two names is because it was so unusual. So rare. But it's not rare anymore. Yeah. And it's not unusual, so let's investigate it. Yeah. That's, what, that's all I've been saying. Uh, and yet, by asking those questions, people go, oh, oh, oh anti-vaxxer, uh, conspiracy theories. Mm. You're like, well, let's just investigate you in and let's see what the answers are. But nobody wants to look at it. And that makes me even more suspicious. Yeah, so what I was getting to is the footballers were being highlighted, but he said, there's actually, the there's people in the crowds. He, he called me a few times saying yeah, that yeah. they've had to stop the game or had to rush someone to hospital because they're having, uh, Still happening now. having heart attacks. And yep. he said... And it's not being reported as, as much as it should be on, on TV. Yeah. Well, I mean, last season, it was just, it felt like every weekend there was a game stopped and you, it was like an extra seven minutes added on because medical emergency in the crowd, medical emergency in the crowd. And you're like, I, I don't remember. I played football for 17 years, right? I don't recall one single player that I played with or against having collapsed on a football pitch in front of me in 17 years playing with or against and let's not forget that's not just 17 years of playing football matches that's 17 years of training five days a week not once did I have one player in those 17 years collapse on a football pitch and I can also tell you I played 540 football matches at professional level I don't recall one game in those 540 that was stopped for a medical emergency in the crowd not one so something's going on and needs to be investigated but everyone's turning a blind eye to it uh, and that just makes me more suspicious and, and makes me want to speak out about it even more my my dad as i said he's on that that side of my mum's on this side i remember having a conversation with my dad like uh, about it and it, sadly they came out with an answer from a so-called expert and they said yeah this is because they are stepping up the levels of training and that's why some of the footballers are not coping with it and they're, and they're collapsing. And that's what my dad said to me. I said, Dad, try, like, come on. Do you honestly, do you honestly believe that? There's got to be something else. So in your view, being an ex-professional footballer and still having a hand in it and knowing lots of footballers, are they stepping up things so much where they're collapsing on football pitches or well, training? Well, actually, you'd actually think, given uh, all the science and the sports science that is around nowadays, um, you'd think that it would actually be better. You'd think that they would be better prepared. They've got all this technology to monitor people, all this technology to go, well, this is, this is what their heart's like. You know, we've tested their heart. This is it. We think they should only go to this level. So you'd think with all the stuff that they've got available to them now, it should be a lot safer to play football uh, and most sports, professional sports in this day and age, because they've all got the sports scientists coming on board, robbing a living. Um, and it's not. So why isn't it? Why isn't it with all this stuff that you've got, all this data that you've got available to you, why isn't it safer than what it was two years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago? It's not. Mm. I want to jump onto two unrelated subjects to what we just spoke about, but this is more like how the media have taken something and maybe slightly twisted it. And I wanted to, number one, see if you said it, and number two, see if what you meant by it and if the media has really sort of spun it. So on the 16th of April 2022 in The Guardian, Matt Letizia quit Southampton role after backlash over the U Ukraine tweet. Um, now, obviously, that's not a, a quote by you, but this is written uh, by The Guardian. So what, what they're talking about there? 
so they're talking about the the fact. So I highlighted a tweet from Unity News Network, um, who were basically uh, e explaining my point was that both sides in a war will engage in propaganda. So all I was saying was that it's not just the Russians that are spouting propaganda on their news channels. If you don't think that we don't do that in times of war, then I think you're pretty naive. Um, and that was that was kind of my point. Uh, I probably could have used a better example. Uh, it was quite an emotive issue that I used as the tweet that I quoted. Um, uh, uh, so I could have used a better example. Um, what was the example? And that I apologise. Was the the um, the massacre in uh, Butcher. Um, uh, and so I could have used a better example. My point was, and I clarified it, I deleted the tweet and I clarified what I meant straight afterwards. But of course, your apology is only accepted if you're on the other side of the fence and you fuck up. You know, if you're on this side of the fence uh, and you, you make an apology and you put your hand up and go, actually, I got that one wrong. I shouldn't have used that example. Um, you know, that's it. You're vilified for forever for using it. Uh, so um, I, yeah, I did. I resigned uh, as an ambassador for Southampton because the football club were, um, I found out that the football club were getting loads of people ringing them up going, oh, Matt, I shouldn't be your ambassador. Uh, and uh, so... Me being me, uh, I didn't want Southampton Football Club to suffer in any way because of that. Uh, and so I contacted the football club and I went, I'm, so to stop you from getting any stick from people ringing you up, uh, I'm going to resign my position as club ambassador. And that's what I did. Simple mm. as that. Well, ever since the whole uh, lockdown days, coronavirus, even myself, when I look at anything on the news, I think, how much of that is actually happening? Yeah, I think I think you there's there's been examples of it that have been that have been shown up where they've used uh, pictures from uh, years ago uh, and used them in in articles uh, and just trying to to dupe people into thinking that this is happening now, but they've been caught out using pictures from like four years ago or from a different conflict in a different country. Um, and and so you do you you've got to question everything you question everything because you just don't know what the truth is that comes out of the television uh, and from what I've seen it ain't very much mm. just go you know I, I've used this example so many times just going back to the the whole uh, lockdown mask stuff I remember going for a run and I saw a guy come out of the line uh, from. Liddles near in Locks Bottom. There was outside waiting to go in. It was seven o'clock in the morning, and he pulled down his mask. And it was all social distancing. Pulled down his mask, pulled out his pocket, a cigarette, and lit up. <laughs> and I'm thinking, do you realise that you're more likely to die from cancer because of the byproducts of smoking than you ever are getting coronavirus? And again, it was almost like that. What they've shown you on TV. And I, and I know I've sort of gone off topic here to do with, you know, the whole Ukraine war and stuff, but it's, it's just crazy again. It really, I do. And even so I see today people, I've been driving in a car with a mask on. I'm like, I don't know, don't know what's going on now. <laughs> and the worst one for me is a beautiful place like this, very countryside-esque, and they'll be walking down the road, no one in sight, and they've got a mask on. I, don't, I just don't understand it. I mean, it, it's, I'm seeing it less and less now. Uh, there are still the the occasional uh, occasional one, um, but fortunately, most people have um, have kind of 
gotten over the whole mask thing. And uh, I, I actually, I, I feel sorry. I, d I feel sorry for those people. Um, I really do because they've been so, so scared um, and so badly affected by the television that they, they're still having to feel like they can do that and they think that's going to protect them. Um, so I, I do. I, I, I feel sorry for them now. Yeah. This last one, okay, which is a bit more closer to home and I was a little bit unsure whether I should ask you this, but I'm going to ask you, okay, because it's yeah. my job. Two th uh, 23rd of July, 2022, Sports Skeda, I think they're called. Matt Letizia's daughter-in-law claimed she was called a bad mother and not to use the family name because of OnlyFans. Yeah. Was that something you said and what, what was the kind of truth behind that? Yeah, yeah, no, my, my, my daughter-in-law um, uh, decided to, to go and uh, make some money from the, from the porn industry. Um, and so we did ask that she didn't use the surname because uh, of the repercussions that that would have on my daughter, who was my youngest daughter, who was at, uh, at secondary school. Um, so we know, I know, that, that school children can be cruel. Um, and uh, I didn't want that affecting my youngest daughter at school. Um, and also, you know, it just wasn't something that I thought was the right thing to do. Um, and so I, so we did as a family, we asked her if she, if she wouldn't use the Letitia name, um, you know, going into the porn industry, uh, but she chose to, so that's, that's her choice. We could only ask, we can't force her. We asked nicely, explain the reasons why, uh, she decided to, to, to go against that and that's her prerogative. Um, uh, and so, you know, we don't, uh, we don't have a lot to do with them. Fair enough. So. With all this in mind, I've gone over a couple of little different uh, conversations based upon the media, their spin on it, narrative, etc. Um, you know, like being censored, being blots, being shadow banned, etc. When, like, I know you've probably answered this before, but when will it end? And like, have you experienced actually being completely blocked on certain platforms? Um, strangely enough. I'm not quite sure how, but I, I've never been suspended by Twitter yet. <laughs> I mean, I've tried my hardest, uh, but I, I'm still on there. Uh, I don't really tweet very often, to be honest. It's a, it's a very toxic platform. Uh, so I, I now um, spend, uh, if I do go on social media, it's on my Getter platform and I do live streams on there. Uh, and I get to interview some, some really cool people. Um, and I get to learn a lot from inter inter interviewing people like Dr. Mike Eden, uh, Ivor Cummins, um, you know, Dr. Tess Laurie, who's done some amazing work. And that's one of the other things that we haven't really spoken about was the fact that, you know, there was some, uh, uh, let's say, some controversial, apparently, uh, some controversial ways you could treat uh, COVID. Uh, and yet those ways were... Uh, basically demonized and censored by the pharmaceutical industry to allow them hydroxychloroquine, uh, ivermectin, um, all this kind of stuff that was being proven to, uh, to be pretty effective um, uh, against, uh, you know, with early treatment uh, of COVID. Uh, and yet they were, you know, they were being banned and censored and all that kind of stuff. So, um, yeah, I don't, uh, I don't think social media uh, has really covered itself in glory. And when will it end? Um, when will it end? It'll end when people stop using those platforms. 
uh, and start moving to platforms that have uh, much freer speech. Um, so, you know, stuff like Rumble and BitChute and, um, and Getter and uh, apparently Truth Social is, uh, is I haven't really tested that one out yet. Um, but certainly people like f Facebook and, and Twitter and YouTube, um, I think things will only change when actually they start losing uh, people in their, in their hundreds of thousands. Yeah. So social media, when you were a wee lad and about to come <laughs> into the football world, it wasn't around. No, uh, thank God. Talking about football and sport, being a professional athlete, how has it uh, been a blessing and a curse being introduced to, let's specifically say, the football world, the football culture? What, social media? Uh, I think it's been incredibly bad. I think social media has probably been the worst invention for people's mental health in the history of this world. Um, it has, it has some good, some good bits to it. Uh, you know, it, it does make it easier to connect with people and, and to stay in touch and all that kind of stuff. Um, but for me, the bad bits of social media far, far outweigh any of the benefits that they produce. Um, and so I'm very pleased that I had pretty much my entire career without uh, any social media. Um, and if I was a professional footballer coming into the game in this day and age, there is not a chance in hell that I would have a single social media account. Mm. Not a chance. There is uh, the example of, and this is probably the most extreme and probably the most one that people look at and think, you know, if I'm a professional athlete, maybe I could take some of his market share, which is Ronaldo. He's the most followed person on, on Instagram in the whole entire world. <laughs> I think it was like 425 million when I last looked at it. Something, wow. something astronomical. And because of that platform, because of that following, just on that one account alone, bearing in mind he's got all the other accounts, I think he charges up to about 1.5 to $2 million per post. Um, now, I have heard allegedly, I'm no expert on this, but he obviously gets paid an absolute killing as a footballer, but yeah. he was actually making more outside of football because of the posting and stuff. I mean, and the brand endorsements and sponsorships and the brand alignments, etc. I mean... That's up to you, him. Do you think that's a good thing for an athlete or do you think that hinders their performance? Um, I think you'd be pretty hard-pressed to say that Ronaldo's performances have been hindered over the years. Mm. I mean, he's been a pretty special footballer. Yeah. Um, so I don't think you could make that argument against it. Um, if that's what... If that's what his ambition in life was, you know, to be monumentally wealthy, um, then fair play to him. And he's done a great job. Uh, he's been an outstanding footballer, one of the best the world has ever seen. Um, and fair play to him. Uh, I, I, I was a bit different. Um, I've, never, I've never allowed money to be my god. Um, I don't... I don't live my life um, chasing after more and more money. Uh, I just, I just like to have enough money to, you know, have a have a comfortable life. You know, I I didn't earn enough money from football that I didn't have to work again. Um, so, and I don't mind that. I like working, uh, and that's just that's my philosophy on it all. Uh, if somebody has a, a different philosophy and they want to be the richest that they can possibly be. 
then fair play to him. He's done a brilliant job at it. Yeah. I know I've heard other interviews and other write-ups that, you know, you were paid pretty well, but in comparison to today, it's a completely different planet. And yeah. I had the same conversation with Sean Wright Phillips recently, who's been on my podcast, and it's by the time this one comes out, it would have come out. So I can share it. Basically, I asked him the question of, when you're coming up as a footballer or as an athlete, boxers a really good example, actually. Tough guys, you know. Best uh, example, Andy Ruiz Jr., who beat Anthony Joshua. He was the first heavyweight Mexican ever in history. Beat him, he was the underdog, and then lost in the second fight. And he was fatter for his second fight than he was the first fight, which kind of shown that he wasn't really as motivated. So the point I'm trying to make is, with the amount of money coming in, I actually really enjoy it because it motivates me. I think, oh, they're earning a lot of money. I can go out and earn a lot of money. I know I'm not in a professional footballer, but if they can do it in something, surely there's a possibility of me doing it in something else. But then I think, how motivated are you going to be if you get 100 grand into your bank account every single week, mm. whether you perform or not? Yeah, um, I, I, that's a very good point. And it's something that I think you do see manifest itself in football quite a bit with with up and coming young players who, you know, they burst onto the scene and you go, oh my God, this guy is brilliant. He's going to have an amazing career. Uh, and and then all of a sudden, about three or four years later, you go, what happened to him? Uh, and uh, you you have to question whether getting given so much so young does take away that motivation factor um, in some people, not in everyone. Because Ronaldo, is, as an example, has been unbelievably motivated till 37 years of age or whatever he is now. Um, so you will get exceptions, but you'll also get a lot of people who, who go, I've, I've got enough money in my bank now to last me the rest of my life. Why do I need to go and bust my balls in pre-season training? Why do I need to get that little bit fitter? Because unless you've got that mentality to really want to drive you forward because of your sport and you love your sport, then it's very easy to go, I don't need to do that. I've got, I've got a four-year contract on 150 grand a week and I'm guaranteed that money. Why, why do I have to try hard? Mm. Um, so, you know, that was never a problem for me because I didn't have enough money and I didn't like trying hard. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think it was it Sugar Ray Robinson said the quote of, it's hard to motivate yourself to go for a run at four o'clock in the morning when you're waking up in silk pajamas. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there is a lot of truth in that. Definitely. And, and I think, I think Anthony Joshua, as a boxer, has said this a few times where he'll go back to his old amateur club to look at the next prospects to realise they're hot on his towel if he doesn't keep on yeah, pushing himself. Absolutely. And I think every so often to humble yourself, you got to go back to the grassroots. Yeah, you got yeah. to go back to the basics absolutely. and realise what life was like before the fame and fortune. Definitely, definitely. And I think. Uh, I think that's one of the, the traits that I find um, really compelling in top sports people is the, the ones that I have the most respect for are the ones that are the most humble. Yeah. And, you know, with with the money, I know Ronaldo is exception. I know probably someone like uh, Messi is a, an exception, Neymar is exce- you know, yeah. et cetera, Beckham. Mm-hmm. But there are a lot of footballers or the stereotype is get a lot of money not so well educated, invest in it. These big brands or so-called financial advisors or the bad friends will come along and kind of siphon the money when you become a bit of a target. Yeah. How's that changed since you were a footballer to now? Uh, I mean, it, it would have changed enormously because the amount of 
money that they're earning um, is a real lure for for people like that, you know. And you know, if if footballers have kind of down the years have been shown to not be the, the sharpest tools in the box, um, uh, and so there will be people trying to prey on them, and you just hope that they've got some good people around them that can spot the uh, the shysters that turn up trying to rob the money off them. Yeah. I know you were offered, I think, a contract uh, either with Tottenham or Chelsea, mm-hmm. and you nearly moved moved down here. Yep. You've already answered kind of the question, but obviously the money would have been probably even better than you were getting at the time, and maybe maybe other opportunities off the back end of that. Would you ever think like how your life might have been slightly different, or your career might have been slightly different if you did go to somewhere like a Chelsea or a Tottenham and played in London? Uh, to be completely honest with you, I don't think I've spent a single minute wondering to myself how my career might have been differently if I made a, a transfer. It's not ever something that's crossed my mind. I'm completely happy and comfortable in all the decisions that I made as a as a footballer, completely at ease with all those decisions that I made. So I don't have a single regret about staying at Southampton my whole career. Um, and... I don't sit here and wonder what if I did join Spurs in 1990? What if I did join Liverpool in 1992? What if I joined Chelsea in 1995? Um, I, I can honestly say I've never sat and thought about it. Do you have any international teams like Barcelona, Real Madrid, anyone like that ever sort of approach you? Not not those level of, uh, of foreign teams. There were a couple of French teams that uh, that were interested at, at various times, but um, I think they saw my surname and thought I was one of them. Um, <laughs> uh, but no, I was never interested in really going to play abroad, to be honest. Um, yeah, I I spent seventeen great years at Southampton. I loved it, and i i left I left a legacy at that football club that I hope uh, people will still talk about what I did for Southampton long after I'm gone. Um, And I think that's that's quite important to me that, you know, my footballing skills were recognised. I don't care what people think of me as a person because of what's happened these last couple of years as um, some Southampton supporters that would have um, not been happy with with what I've been saying over the last couple of years because they are on the other side of the fence. And that's fine. Um, All I would say to them is, you I don't mind you disagreeing with me at all. That's your prerogative. Um, but you'll never be able to change what I did for Southampton Football Club. You yeah. can't rewrite the history books because I did that and it's all there. It's on camera uh, and I'm proud of what I did for Southampton Football yeah. Club. And on the contrary to that, there might have been some other supporters from other teams that probably didn't like you, not because of you as an individual, but because you were just a good player for an opposing team. But now, because of your views, yes. you've converted them to actually be a Matt Letizia supporter and, and fan. I've actually, I've actually had quite a few Portsmouth supporters uh, on my social media feed who have actually said, uh, you know, I'm, a, I'm a Portsmouth supporter, but actually... You're right. You you know what you're on about. Yeah. <laughs> so it does. It it swings around aboutts, and and that's just the way it goes. But at the end of the day, I, I just I believe in what I'm saying uh, to be true. And if somebody comes at me um, with evidence that will make me change my mind, then I'm not too arrogant enough to go. Uh, actually, yeah, you're you're right. Actually, I'm, I, I I've been wrong. I'm the first person to hold man up. If I think I'm wrong, I ain't afraid to say sorry. And I ain't afraid to say I'm wrong. Um, but so far, 
there's been very few instances over these last couple of years where um, where I've had to say sorry. Uh, there have been a couple, uh, and happy to do that whenever I've got it wrong. But the majority of the time, um, nobody's managed to convince me that the other stuff that I've been saying has been wrong. Yeah, well, it's always good, like when you when you get something wrong, to wear it, to own it, absolutely and, and, and right, to pivot and just move on. Absolutely right. Yeah, yeah. Um, just a couple more things. Then, when I listen to one of the other other interviews, I never heard this psychology before because I would say probably a lot of footballers or athletes are kind of media trained because they can't really speak the way you spoke on a podcast. But now you can because obviously you're retired. And it was something along the lines of. When I played, it wasn't necessarily to win, it was to entertain. Mm-hmm. And I was there to enjoy myself and therefore to Absolutely. please the crowd. Yep. And I thought, it reminded me of boxing a bit. I'll tell you why. I'm a big Floyd Mayweather fan, right? A lot of people who might be a bit of a casual fan towards boxing, they would say, no, he's pretty boring. I said, no, he does everything he needs to do to win. To win. His yeah, whole yeah. thing is about winning, not getting hurt or not, or not losing, not going to the floor. Yeah. But you've got someone like a... Mike Tyson will go in there and try and knock everybody out to entertain, but by going through that process, he might get knocked out. Absolutely, yeah. And you might be the Mike Tyson version <laughs> as a footballer. So what did you mean by you play to enjoy yourself rather than win? Uh, so I've always viewed football as an entertainment industry. That's, that's what it's meant to be. People pay money, good money, to come and watch and be entertained by you, by the football. Um, and so I've always kind of, I've always loved my sporting heroes. If, if I told you who my sporting heroes were as a kid, you'd understand why I played football the way I played football. Um, so, you know, I, I was a big sports fan, lots of different sports. So Ian Botham was, was my ultimate cricket hero. Uh, Jimmy White at snooker, you know, Ernie Els, Phil Mickelson at golf. Um, all players who were so naturally gifted and who just looked like they just wanted to be out there having fun and and they entertained people um and so my footballing hero is glenn hoddle um you know glenn was the glenn was the same you know he played football the way that he wanted to play it um and he did it to entertain people and there's nothing better i I didn't get any better feeling than than doing something on a football pitch uh, and that actually makes most of the stadium stand up and clap and go oh my god that's brilliant yeah, and that that just gave me so much satisfaction. People paid a lot of money, you know. A lot of people have you know nine to five jobs, um, and their release from all of that is going to watch the football on the weekend. And if you can put a smile on their faces, um, it's a pretty it was a pretty cool feeling to be able to do that and know that you've done something on a football pitch that probably nobody else who's watching the game could have done because you you I was born with an ability to do that stuff and. Um, and I love doing it. And so, yeah, I, I'm pretty open about it that I've always viewed football as an entertainment industry and it wasn't always about the winning for me. And you made it so it looked so um, seamless. It was almost like you didn't have to try. Uh, <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of practice that went into it in my younger years. So, you know, I, I just grew up with a ball at my feet a lot of the time and just messing about you know, just trying different things, uh, work, you know, working on my first touch, you know, the amount of hours that I would spend smashing the ball against the wall, just having it come back to me as quickly as possible and seeing if I could control it. Um, so there was a lot of, uh, there was a lot of hard work that went into it early on uh, and people kind of just see the end product and go, oh, 
blimey, he just made that look so easy. But what they didn't see is is the all the years growing up in Guernsey, me on my own sometimes with a wall and a ball uh, and just working and, and getting better at controlling the football. Um, yeah. And so, I so yeah, I, I, it might have looked like, because I've got a quite a casual manner uh, when I'm on a football pitch, I've got quite a languid running style. That's just the way I run. Uh, and that's what made people go, oh, he's lazy because you know, I just run a bit differently. Um, but... You know, it it felt easy to me at times. Certainly, when I had uh, a manager that believed in me, and I was and I was high in confidence, um, then the stuff that I was doing on a football pitch, it did feel like it did come easy to me. Yeah, forty-eight penalties, forty-seven scored. I've got written down here the greatest ever from a twelve-yard spot. How true is that? <laughs> How true is that? Uh, I don't know everybody else's record in professional <laughs> football, but I'm pretty proud of of my record as a as a penalty taker. Um, that, I mean, that somebody will probably beat that at some point because uh, that's what happens to uh, to records that are all there to be broken. Um, somebody might have had a better record somewhere else in the world. I don't know, um, but I, I I know that I I enjoyed taking penalties, and that I think was one of the biggest things one of the biggest reasons why I was successful 47 times out of 48 was because I actually looked forward to taking penalties. So what is the secret of taking a penalty? Like I'm a, obviously a novice f- football guy. So if I was to take a penalty today, what is the basic uh, fundamentals that I need to know? Uh, well, the first fundamental is what I've just said is you need to want to be there in the first place because it's quite a, it's quite a tense, you know, quite a nervous situation. You know, you've got a, a free shot from 12 yards and everybody in the stadium is expecting you to score. You know, the pressure's on you. There's no pressure on the goalkeeper. You know, if he saves it, he's a hero. If it goes in, you go, well, it's a free shot from 12 yards. You're not expected to save that. So all the pressure is on the penalty taker. Um, and so you have to be comfortable in that situation. And I was always comfortable with pressure on my shoulders. I didn't, it didn't bother me. I was quite laid back and uh, so I viewed a penalty as a great chance to score a goal. And that's how I looked at it. So whenever ever a penalty was given, I was like, oh, get in, this is a goal. And just once it just didn't quite go right. <laughs> well, that explains, if you could deal with the pressure back then, it explains a lot of the psychology and how you can deal with of the pressure today with, with, a... with the media and stuff. Yeah, but that, I mean, that, I, don't even, I don't even see that as pressure. I can understand taking a penalty as pressure. You know, I took a penalty on the last day of the season at Upton Park and we could have got relegated that day. And we got a penalty. Uh, I think we were losing the game 2-1 at the time. And so it was a big moment in the game. And uh, uh, and I just felt this overwhelming sense of calm and belief that I'm going to score this. And yeah. it didn't and it didn't phase me in any way, shape or form. Um, and so, I, you know, the stuff that taking abuse in the media, uh, that, that's not even pressure. That, that they, if they knew how little it bothered me. They wouldn't even bother trying to have a go at me. Yeah. And how do you feel, and I know it's going to sound like a very obvious question, but like representing England, you know, having, having was it eight caps over? It was eight caps. Three uh, years? Yeah, it was eight caps over, yeah, it was a period of three years. I, as a kid, I had two ambitions in my life from the, about the age of eight, and it was to be a professional footballer and to play for England. And they were the two things I wanted to achieve in my life. And by the age of 25, uh, I'd managed to to do both of them, um, and so that was a pretty cool feeling to to do that. Looking back, actually looking back now, I mean, I was I was just a little kid growing up in Guernsey. We barely had a professional footballer 
from Guernsey, let alone somebody who, who had played for England. So me at eight years of age, that felt like a really lofty ambition to, to be a professional footballer and to play for, for my country uh, because nobody from Guernsey had ever done that. So that felt no, like... There was no national team there, was there? No, no, no. So that was how your the, the sort of not loophole, but kind of got you got into the England squad because there was a few select players as well that had a slightly similar sort of thing to you. Yeah. So being from being from the Channel Islands, I, I was actually eligible to play for any of the home countries. So I, I wasn't necessarily I'm not necessarily an Englishman, but growing up as a kid, that was who I supported. That's who I felt my affinity to. Uh, and so as, a, as an eight year old in Guernsey, uh, not really knowing that there'd been many professional footballers from Guernsey before, um, to have an ambition to play for England was, was I thought was quite a big ambition. So having done that at 25 years of age and got to do it, it was a pretty cool feeling. When I look back now, I often wonder and think to myself, actually, what if my ambition would have been to have scored in the World Cup final for England? What if I'd have, my ambition had been a little bit higher? rather than just play for England, maybe my ambition should have been and score a goal that wins the World Cup for England. Now that, you know, that would have just seemed like uh, fantasy as, a, as an eight-year-old kid. So I kind of didn't do that. Uh, but I, that, I do look back and think, maybe I should have set my ambitions a bit higher and then maybe I could have achieved a bit more. Hmm. What's Guernsey like? I've never been there. Have you not? Never. Well, I was there last week and it is, when the sun is shining, it's the most beautiful place. It has the most stunning sandy beaches, especially on the west coast of the island. Uh, it has some stunning restaurants and uh, obviously I'm, a, I'm what, a bit biased. What people say, Guernsey, Jersey? Guernsey and Jersey. Jersey's uh, and, okay. uh, and the other island, which is not quite as nice. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, it's all right, Jersey. But um, Guernsey is, is stunning. It it does feel like you're going back in time a little bit to a place where, um, I don't know if you're, if you're even old enough to remember when people used to have, you know, veg on the on, on their hedge at the end of their road and they leave a little box to put your money in. Right. I mean, I don't know if you can imagine that happening anywhere in England anymore. No. But that kind of stuff still happens in Guernsey. Oh, so right. people sell things at the end of their garden. They put a little box there and they have a little honesty box where you put your honesty money in. Honesty box, yeah. Cool. And it's, yeah, so it's it's that kind of place and it's it's a beautiful really laid back places you can possibly guess yeah. um, uh, and it's a place that I, I would contemplate um, go going back and living when I get a little bit older that's nice really nice mm. I want to say thank you very much for your time really really good interview thank you for inviting me to your home it's a beautiful place that you got here thank you mate last question yep when I started my business when I was younger my first business it was yep. a sales company and part of the culture, mostly men, alpha, alpha type men, yep. was to keep them motivated. So we come up with a slogan and the slogan goes like this, be happy, never content. Yeah. Now, if I were to ask Matt Letizia, what does be happy, never content mean to you? Uh, I, I, try to, I try to be happy every day of my life um, because I know there's a lot of people in positions of authority who don't want people to be happy. Uh, and so I just do it to piss them off, really. Um, but I, do, I, I, I love uh, I love life, uh, and um, uh, I, I I'd slightly disagree with that because I am quite content in my life. Uh, I think I can be content and be happy. Um, I think you can do that in your life. 
in the workplace, I think it's it's different. There's different motivating factors. Uh, so I think in the workplace, that actually is pretty sound advice. Uh, but I think in my life, at my stage in my life, I can be I can be content and I can be happy as well. Hmm. Great answer. Thank you again. Thank you for your time. And uh, I look forward to getting all the feedback from the uh, subscribers and viewers. Nice one, mate. Good to meet you. Good. God bless. Thank you. Thank you.